0: Good morning. What a privilege it is to be able to read to you this morning. If you'll open your Bibles with me. We're going to be reading Romans. Chapter 3, verses 21 to 31. You're going to find that in your Pew Bible in 1197. Page 1197. And you'll have it on the screen in front of you. The righteousness of God through faith. No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who would justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means, On the contrary, we uphold the law. God's Word.
1: Good morning, everybody. My name is Bruce O'Neill, and if you're visiting with us, I am uh, the pastor here, and on Sunday mornings, usually it's my uh, privilege to explain the text that is read to us, and so I'm going to do that out of Romans chapter 3, 21 uh, through 31. Now this particular text gives me the opportunity to uh, speak with you about the gospel. But the truth is, I do that every week. In fact, if you're visiting with us, and this is not your first time visiting with us, you, you might be thinking, every time I go to that church, they're always talking about the gospel. Well, the reason for that is something that I think... Um, Martin Luther uh, captured, well, he was a uh, 16th century monk and later he became a pastor. And he said this, he said, every week I preach the gospel to my people because every week they forget it. (laughs) Isn't it funny how, well, not funny, haha, but funny is and interesting that something in a lot of ways that is so simple, something that is so life transforming that in six days we've almost completely forgotten it or at least forgotten its effect. And so we need to be reminded and and one of the places that we hope to remind you of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus is in the church of all places. It's Martin Luther who also went on and said, without this gospel the church cannot stand for one single hour. That's why we do it every week. And even on Easter, we talk about the gospel. One uh, Bible scholar named Leon Morris, I, I know you may not know who he was, but he said this, this text may possibly be the most important singular paragraph ever written in human history. Now, when... Leon Morris says that he might be uh, guilty of what most preachers are, hyperbole, but the truth is he's not. The whole world has been shook by this paragraph and continues to be shaken by the words that were just read to you. And so this morning, because it's Easter, I only have two points. And so I'm only asking you to pay attention to these two things. Something that you and I are supposed to renounce. And then there's something that we're supposed to believe. We're supposed to receive it. And because we receive it by faith, it changes everything. And so first, the bad news has to be bad before the good news can be really, really good. And so let me focus on what must be renounced. A self-righteousness. And I I know we don't use that word anymore. So what it simply means is that kind of self-justification, that kind of faith in ourselves. And I know we've now had two decades of telling you you're pretty good. You're a great person. You can do anything you want to do. You can be all you can be. The problem with those statements is that we believe them. There's nothing wrong with somebody saying them. The wrong is that we believe them. And we live in light of that. And so when we come across a, a, a passage or a verse in the Bible that says, wait a minute, you are not the, the best thing since sliced bread. We are devastated. And when we're devastated about the truth about where humanity is, then it's very hard for us to hear the good news. The good news only becomes okay because the bad news really isn't all that bad. That is, if, if truly uh, uh, we could have done this on our own, we could have gone to get the broom of the wicked witch of uh, the east on our own and earned our our own acceptance, our own validating record, then what, what what need do we have of Christ? This is the way Paul puts it in our passage. He just asks a simple question and then it's rhetorical because he immediately answers it. In verse 27 he says, What becomes of our boasting? What becomes of our self justification? Our looking at ourselves and thinking that we're something before one another, and and more importantly, before the Creator of everything. What do we have to commend ourselves? And rather than hoping that you would come to the right answer, he just gives it right away. It's to be excluded, it's of no account. In this context, it's just not important. It's not applicable. That's what he's getting at in this text because there is no amount of moral virtue. There is no amount of generosity and there's no amount of service that can commend you to your creator that would make you acceptable to him. And so naturally... If you're new here, you want to know this question. Why are we even talking about being acceptable to a loving God? Why is that even an issue in our culture where God is primarily only known as a loving, forgiving, merciful God that he has no other attributes? He has no other description of him. Then why in the world are we talking about needing to be acceptable to him? You see, there's this incredible uh, phrase that Paul turns here where he says, God is both the just and the justifier. And that's a turn of phrase to mean this. God has a nature of him that is bigger than just simply he's a loving, kind Santa Claus. A doting grandfather. Grandfather. He is loving and we can describe what that really means. But in our culture, that whole idea seems to be more like going to the mall and sitting on Santa Claus's lap and telling him the three things we want for Christmas than it is that we need him because we have moved far from him. And some of us have moved far from him without ever leaving the chair because we've moved from him in our hearts which is even more devastating than moving with our legs. We need acceptance from God because he created us. He is the creator. And because he created us, anybody who gets to, to create something, whether it's a, a piece of art, it's music, or, or, or maybe you've written a beautiful poem or a great story... And therefore, you get the right to determine how that piece of art is to be used. It's purpose, it's meaning, it's being. Because you are the creator. And you know that's true. For those of you who who, who do create things, even those people in the room who are more science oriented, but you have figured out some bit of code, you've, you've figured out how to get a... A a, a, a multi-ton vehicle off the ground and into the air or maybe underwater. And all of these things are beyond my imagination because I don't live that way. I don't think that way. But for those of you do, please understand God understands you because that's what he has done. We get it, we do it Just like children watch their parents and then mimic it, that's what we do with our Creator. He has made everything that is, and and specifically human beings, and He said, I create you in my image. That makes you unique from every other human being on the face of the planet. I mean, every other creature on the face of the planet, because you're the only one in my image, male and female. And then He says, I'm gonna give you, that's your being, but I'm gonna design you for a purpose, To be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. I'm going to give you an incredible garden and I'm, I'm going to make it good, but you are to perfect it. You're to take what I give you and glorify me by making it better. And rather than being and fulfilling, we rejected the design. It would be as if you had created the first submarine, but you've decided it's just going to be a paperweight. You have invented the airplane, but all that you're going to use it for... Have you ever seen those little rides right outside Walmart or Sam's for little kids? And that's all you're going to use it for. That is what humanity did with its designer. God meant for us to soar or to go into the depths of the sea. But we have said, you know, we've got a better design for our lives. And therefore, we've rejected our designer. And that is why we need a new record. Because the record that we have accrued since humanity Walked on the earth with God has been an unacceptable offering and service to him. We rejected the design for us and thereby rejected the designer who designed us for it. A theologian, D.A. Carson, puts it this way. And I know this is a a theological word and I'll explain it in a moment. But just hear it in its text. Justification is the validating performance record that opens doors and gives access. What D.A. Carson is saying here is simply that we need a better record. And that is based on a validating performance. To makes us acceptable or gives us access to God. Now, to, to bring it into the vernacular of our world in the 20th, 21st century, you have Harold Abrahams, who was in the movie uh, uh, Chariots at Fire, but he was a real person who was an Olympian uh, uh, back in the, the, the uh, beginning of the, ni- uh, of the 20th century. And this line is so important because it really describes what D.A. Carson and Paul are getting at when he said when the gun goes off i've got 10 seconds to justify my existence the world and this is so important for americans because this is so embedded in our culture that, that from the moment you are born and even after they put you in your grave many memorial services funerals are about your 10 seconds To justify your existence. And either you've got a validating performance record that was acceptable, and therefore everybody's gathered to celebrate it, or we're remarking that you didn't. Our culture says you want approval? Then win. You want a job? Have the best resume. You want to get into a good college? Then have your parents pay for it. No. That only seems so to some of our Hollywood folks. You want to get into college, guys, ladies? you've got to have the best academic record. In other words, here's my record. Reward me, hire me, validate me. That is the motto of our American culture in which we are all being evaluated upon. And so, whether you're religious or not. Maybe you're here and somehow you got into a, 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 an evangelical church on Easter of all days and you're being confronted with the way in which the Bible presents acceptance before God. And you say, this is why I have rejected religion, organized religion. Okay, hang with me just for a moment. So whether you're religious or not, listen to what Paul says in verse 29. Is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? I love Paul. He loves rhetorical questions. Yes, of of the Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Just quickly, for those who aren't familiar with this text, Paul has been making an argument about Jews and Gentiles, non-Jews. Gentiles just simply means the nations, everybody but Jews. And so don't get hung up the fact that he uses two different prepositions here. That the Jews, uh, the the circumcised uh, by faith and then the uncircumcised through faith. He means the same thing. Paul has this tendency to heap. Uh, prepositions, and then he does the same thing with adjectives. He just lumps them together. He means the same thing. He doesn't mean to divide. There's one way in which Jews come to faith and one way in which uh, Gentiles... In fact, he's making the argument the opposite, that they're both the same. But circumcision is the covenant sign in the Bible that you're included, you belong to the people of God. Specifically, they mean Judaism. But it also represented the entire life of a Jew, what it meant to be a Jew, that it it began with this idea of carrying the sign of being included. And another way to think of circumcision representing the whole is that it is your entire validating record of being a Jew. And Paul's answer to this question, is God only for the Jews? Is it? No, he's also for the Gentiles. Listen, we're in the 21st century. I understand we don't understand how scandalous it was for Paul to write that. Now, he's writing to a primarily a Gentile audience, and they're cheering him. But if he stood on the street corners where there were lots of Jews, if he was in the Jewish district of Rome, they would have booed him. And that would have been the good thing they would have done to him. Because it was scandalous for, for anybody to say that God is the God of the Gentiles. In fact, they had this rabbinical prayer that they would pray. Thank you, my God, that I am not a Gentile. Paul himself probably prayed that prayer before he became a Christian. The Bible even records for us in Luke 18 a a pharisaical prayer, a prayer of the Pharisees that's similar. It goes like this. Thank you, my God, that I am not like other men robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I have. I am generous. You see, one of the things you understand about the Pharisees is they didn't pray in their closets. They didn't didn't just keep it to the family at the dinner table. This would have been prayed in public loudly. They would want everybody to know how righteous, how validating their religious record was. And so they would announce it so everybody could hear it. This is religious boasting. This is, this is self-justification. This is, I've got my own validating performance record that is acceptable. I know it because everybody tells me this is what it is. All the religious leaders, all the Bible scholars of their day would say, Yes, if you uh, live this way as a good Jew, then you are acceptable. Bring that to the 21st century, we would say things like, Look at my church attendance. I get a smiley face every Sunday because I'm there. Even when everybody else has gone to the beach, when everybody else is playing golf, when everybody else has gone sailing... I'm there. That just shows you just how special I am. Look at my giving record. I don't want anybody to notice it, but let me tell you how good it is. My Bible knowledge. Let me drop you a few facts you might not know. I, I have seen a concordance. I can drop a couple of key Greek words. How about my Reformed theology? I know John Calvin better than the Apostle John. Or my opposition to the Reformed theology. That could also be a validating religious performance record. This is the idea behind circumcision as a way to validate your record before God so you can have access. And, and immediately, I, I told you early on, there's a few of you, has to be on Easter, somebody has gotten you to this place and you have been looking for this to be able to say, this is why I gave up Christianity. This is why I gave up organized religion because of all of these expectations that I would have some performance record and I can't do that. I can't do that. I don't see the need for it. It doesn't even make sense to me. And so I have rejected it. I'm willing to go to church on on Easter. I'm willing to put a coat and tie on one time a year to come into the room that's too crowded because we got people sitting out there just so I can appease someone. It may not be God. It might be your mother. but you're going to appease someone. And so you feel like, yes, I don't need a validating record for God, but I still need a validating record because the world is passing a verdict over me. The world is telling me whether I'm good or not. The world is saying, am I in or out And so Paul's answer to that is in verse 25. He says, Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Now, that's a thick word. We don't don't drop that, except for the people who've got really good Bible knowledge. We don't really bring that up on game night or or when we have a party. Hey, what do y'all think about that propitiation? We're not even sure how it's supposed to be pronounced. The word propitiation simply means to avert punishment. To avert the wrath that is due, the fact that we have rejected our design. We're not living as God had designed us, nor have we accepted our designer as our designer. And because of those two realities... We're not right with God. And because he's just... He can't ignore the fact that we have given him the bird. We can't ignore that we've basically cussing him out with our lives. And so he's... I can't let that go. That has to be paid for. And so propitiation is a common word in the first century... Not so common in the 21st century. In the first century... Even the pagan religions had pagan gods who understood this word propitiation. Because they had gods like uh, Moloch who said, You want to appease me? Sacrifice your children. Or Baal, if you want to appease me, then self-mutilate. You see, they walked on eggshells because they knew at any moment, at any turn, somehow they're going to offend their god and god's going to require punishment in return. The truth is, whether you're religious or not, we need a defense strategy against the world's verdicts about us. Now, you can, you can say it doesn't matter. I don't listen to the world. But the truth is, we do. Everyone here, everyone who's ever been in school and received a report card, and that's either been a good day for you or uh, not so good. Everybody gets paid, and I remember my first paycheck as a teacher. I was so disappointed. (laughs) First time I ever saw union dues. First time I had ever recognized that the government got a good portion of what I made because I made so little. I remember bringing it home. Kathy and I had just gotten married, and here's my offering. Every time we've ever gone out on a date and it didn't go well. It's a validating record. It's a verdict that someone is giving us. Let me give you an example. Oprah Winfrey, after she had finished um, doing the Oprah show, she'd been doing uh, these uh, TED Talks and different things. Uh, venues. One of them was at the uh, uh, Tribeca Film Festival. And so they were asking her about all the people. She's had amazing uh, people come from, from very common to very special in our culture of uh, people to be interviewed. And, and she said this, she said that everybody that I have ever interviewed, whether it was Barack Obama, Beyonce, or the man who murdered his children at some point would ask me, how did I do? Was that okay? At the end of every interview, they wanted to know if they had done okay. Even Oprah said this. She said that before I met Weight Watchers, while I was still over 200 pounds, I was so mad at myself. I was so embarrassed in the public. Why? Because we know if we weigh too much... If, if the interview doesn't go well, you're going to get punished. You're going to receive the world's verdict and you're going to be excluded, overlooked, and gossiped about. So whether you're religious or not, we're all in the same spot. We are the same. Because our culture says you must bring it. You must perform at a high level. You must win because you only have 10 seconds to justify your existence because that's about how long life is in comparison to eternity. We feel that if we don't fix this, whatever this is, if I don't justify my life with another win, if I don't have another project that I can accomplish with another bonus, if another 10 pounds are not lost, the world is moody. The world is hot-tempered and the world is capricious and it will reject me. We fear the world's verdict. And so we have developed all kinds of defense strategies to deal with the world's verdicts. Including, I don't care what the world thinks. We think, boy, those are the free people. No, they're not. They're just as in much bondage. Now they're in bondage of not caring about what the world thinks. You and I must renounce that way of living. Because there is no good news in it for us. Even for those who are winning at life, by whomever's definition, winning means. So, what's the answer? It's the other half. Here comes the good news, because that's pretty bad. A verdict that we must receive by faith. The old reformers, they called it sola fide faith alone. Paul says it this way, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. To those who believe in Jesus' death as their propitiation, forgiveness is given. All that we had done to live outside of the design that God had created human beings to live. The fact that we have rejected our designer can be forgiven no matter how far you have lived from the gates uh, of heaven and how close you have lived to the gates of hell in your life. No matter what is possibly could be said at your memorial service, you can have forgiveness if you receive by faith that one has been your propitiation through his death. And you receive that simply by faith. When Jesus is on the cross, he utters Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what is being said there is that God forsook me so that he would not have to forsake you. And that means Jesus is our propitiation that we receive by faith alone. Isaiah 53 says, The punishment that has brought us peace with God was laid upon him, Jesus. And so you ask, well, then what's our contribution? Obviously, God's not going to take us the whole road. Obviously, we've got to get out of the car and do some walking through the woods at some point. Somewhere, we've got to scale the mountain. Somewhere, we've got to contribute and bring something to the dance. And the answer is no. This is a solo act. Nothing you bring except, here's this, your need. The only thing you need is need. The problem is, most people don't have it. They are unaware of their need for him. And if we receive it by faith, we don't just get the propitiation. We don't just get the forgiveness. That's the the negative verdict that is removed from us. We get a positive verdict that is applied, also by, received by faith. Verse 21, you, you, by now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, received through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe and are justified By his grace as a gift. The definition of grace is that you don't bring anything to the table. It is like you have been invited uh, to the poker championships and you're using someone else's chips that have been provided. Someone else has earned them. The best example that I can think of in in the Bible is of the prodigal son. You... The, the story uh, that Jesus tells of this boy who comes to his dad and says, Dad, I don't want you. I want what you have because I want to live apart from the way you designed me. And therefore, I'm going to reject you, but I do want what you have. Because I want to live like I want to live. And his father I gave him his portion of wealth so that he could go and live the way he wanted to live. The unbelievable story, if that's not enough, is that when he comes back after squandering it all, his father sees him from afar, runs to him, puts his arms around him, and said, my son who was dead is now alive. My son who was blind now sees. And then he takes the signet ring, and that's the family ring. Shows that you're part of the family. And he puts it on his son's hand. And he takes the shoes and he puts shoes on him... Because he's wasted so much of the money... He doesn't even have money for good shoes. And then he takes his cloak... And he puts his cloak, his robe on him to wear. And what we often miss in that story... Is that everything, the ring, the shoes, the the robe... All belong to the elder brother. Because everything that is left on the farm is going to be his inheritance. And so the, the positive verdict that you are mine means that you get to wear clothes that you did not buy. You get to wear dress that was not for, for you, it was for someone else, as if you had earned it yourself. This is the gospel. You've got insufficient funds in your bank account, and many of you do, Jesus gives you the world as your inheritance. You made an effort to try this on your parents. Jesus gives you a PhD, summa cum laude. You've been rejected by the in group, Jesus welcomes you into his family. You're leaving here this morning as the MVP of the league, the homecoming queen. The one who received the Congressional Medal of Honor, the Pulitzer Prize, and the Nobel Peace Prize, you've won the Grammy and the Oscar all at one time. You leave here with the validating performance record of Jesus Christ, which means everything he ever did, everything he ever said, everything he ever felt has now been given to you as if it was a robe or a wedding dress. You didn't earn it, you didn't buy it, but what he did is as if you had done it. What he said as if you had said it, and if what he felt as if you felt it. It has been a sign to you. Titus three five puts it this way He saved us, that is, He justified us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. Therefore, none of us have anything to boast about. Why? Because no one can bridge the chasm between us and God. No one can get between the holiness of God and man. There is a gap of shame that no one can bridge. Bishop Hanley Mole put it this way. He said, the harlot, the liar, and the murderer are uh, uh, short of God's glory. But so are you. Perhaps they stand at the bottom of the mine and you at the crest of the Alp, but you are as little able to touch the stars as they are. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I know that's humbling. Of all the things that you thought you were not going to hear on Easter, is that you've got nothing to validate yourself by before God. I know that's hard to hear and that's humbling. But it is also empowering. Maybe you think you don't have very strong faith to receive this kind of news. God's not upset by your little faith. A weak faith is as good as a strong faith with this. It's not the strength of your faith that matters, it's the object of your faith that matters. Please be encouraged if you, if you think that you are not making it in the life of the church by whatever standards you think the church are, and expectations of the church is given for you, you're in the perfect spot to blow a hole through hell to be used by God. This is what one pastor wrote to his son who was struggling in, at college with anxiety and depression. He said, in, in the struggles you face, dear son... I don't want you ever to forget that Moses stuttered and David's armor did not fit. And John Mark was rejected by Paul. And Hosea's wife was a prostitute. And Amos' only training for being a prophet was a fig tree. Jeremiah struggled with depression. Gideon and Thomas doubted. Jonah ran from God. Abraham failed miserably and so did his son and his grandson. These are real people who had real failures and real struggles. And real inadequacies and real inabilities. And God shook the world with them. It is not so much from our strength that He draws, because what glory is in that, but from, our, from His invincible might. I am praying that He will give you that courage in, the, in this quality of His. You feel like damaged goods. You are in the right spot. Listen to Anne Malamott. She said, it's okay to realize you're damaged because all the best people are. You are poised to be used by God when you realize you have no validating performance record of your own. Does this verdict mean we no longer have to obey God? That we can just do whatever we want? That's the point, no, by no means. In fact, he devotes two whole chapters to that. In 6 and 7, by no means. To be loved like this demands a grateful response to him. Martin Luther also once said that we are saved by faith alone, but faith never comes alone. True faith over time will have its effect on a life. Sin that used to attract you will eventually nauseate you And godliness that nauseates you now will someday attract you, will be attractive to you over time. Not all at once, and not now, but over time. Let me give you an invitation as we conclude. On this Easter morning, obviously everybody's going to be in a different spot. But how close have you lived trying to create an acceptable record to yourself, to your friends and family, to your employer, to your next door neighbor, to God, you need to renounce that. Because if that grips you, there is no good news in that. There's only death there. But secondly, God has over you, given a verdict. You are mine. And the only way God could ever make you His is because he, in order to be just and to justify you, He had to give you someone else's record. And we received that by faith. Jesus' life and death for us. And this is what it means to be a Christian. I know you might have rejected Christianity for what you think are good reasons. But this is the only reason to reject it. That you don't want his validating record. Because that's what he's offering you here today. So let's pray. Father, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. Naked, I come to you for dress. Helpless, I look to you for grace. Foul to the fountain, I fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And yet, having been washed, I live. Having been washed, I no longer wear the scarlet letter, but a virgin's wedding dress. I am no longer carrying a transcript that says F., I carry the transcript that says perfect. Thank you for bestowing on us the righteousness that we did not earn, that we do not deserve, and yet we celebrate because you have saved us. You justified us, not because of works we have done, but because of your mercy, which is pictured in the beautiful cross. Our true day of atonement, where we, have the perfect validating performance record received by faith alone. We pray in Jesus' name,
0: amen.